children grow into the intellectual life around them. That intellectual life is fundamentally social, and language has a special place in it. Because the intellectual life is social, it's also relational and emotional. To me, the most humbling part of observing accomplished teachers is seeing the subtle ways in which they build emotionally and relationally healthy learning communities. Intellectual environments that produce not mere technical competence, but caring, secure, actively literate human beings. Watching these teachers accomplish both goals convinced me that the two achievements are not completely at odds. Some years ago, I read Mary Rose O'Reilly's The Peaceable Classroom. Early in the book, she observes, I'd gone off to be a teacher, asking myself from time to time if it might be possible to teach English in such a way that people would stop killing each other. When I first encountered this confession, I was reminded of my own journey into teaching and filed both under youthful idealism However, I happened to reread the passage while studying these teachers and realized I had been wrong. It's both realistic and fundamental. In one classroom, I noticed a student return from the library with a book. His teacher looked up and asked if he had found the book he needed for his project. <laughs> his cheerful answer, Not yet, but I found one for Richard. In another school, I watched a whole class of fourth graders engage in a deeply philosophical discussion of science and ethics for an hour and a quarter, with little input from the teacher. In another, over the course of four months, I watched as a student who had been classified as emotionally disturbed was systematically made undisturbed, becoming an apparently normal participant in class activities with none of his former outbursts. In the face of relentless testing pressures, these teachers were accomplishing some of what O'Reilly imagined, not without struggle and not without soliciting the help of the students in their classes. Exploring the nature of these teachers' skill, I have been particularly influenced by what children have to say. My colleague Rosemary Weber says that, as a graduate student at Cornell, she was introduced to some first graders. One of the girls commented that her father was going to be a doctor of philosophy. The teacher observed that Rose was, too. The girl immediately pointed out that Rose couldn't be a doctor of philosophy. She would have to be a nurse of philosophy. This is even funnier now that Rose is a member of the International Reading Association's Hall of Fame, but beyond the humor is something a little darker. This first grader could not imagine herself becoming a doctor. Doubtless, she could also not imagine her brother becoming a nurse. She didn't just make this up out of nothing. She made it up out of the linguistic, or more broadly, the discursive environment in which she was immersed. Children, in their own ways, teach us about the language of our classrooms. We have to ask what discursive histories have made it possible for them to say what they say. What makes it possible for a student asked, who else would like that book, to respond as one fourth grader did? Probably Patrick. He's not the kind of guy who laughs, and he doesn't smile too much, and in this book, he might smile. Why does another fourth grader describe herself in the following way? I'm on one of the lowest levels in this class. It really stinks. Most of them are above me. I have Peter Williams, and he doesn't care if I read with him, and he always helps me out and stuff. How come a student in a different class describes herself as a reader with, oh, I love to read mystery, adventure, suspense? and I like to read books about animals doing everyday things that we do. Barry likes to read about sports, and Amy likes to read about horses and dolphins. Amanda's reading is very different from mine because hers usually have a happy ending. Mine are like never-ending stories. What classroom conversations lead to a student reporting that, recently I've learned how to pronounce more words, how to read more faster than before. I'd like to learn how to pronounce even more words. Teachers play a critical role in arranging the discursive histories from which these children speak. Talk is the central tool of their trade. With it, they mediate children's activity and experience, 
and help them make sense of learning, literacy, life, and themselves. An example. Let me give you a slightly more expanded example of what I have in mind. Consider the following interaction from a reading recovery lesson. You said, I will to my friend the car driver. Does this word look like will? No. What letters would you expect to see if the word was will? W-L. What letters do you see? W-A-V-E. Look at the picture. What is the boy doing? What is the car driver doing? They're waving to each other. What do you think that word could be? Wave. Does wave make sense? Yes. I wave to my friend, the car driver. Does wave to my friend, the car driver, sound right? Yes. Does the word look right? The letters make wave. I like the way you figured that out. Several things strike me about this exchange. First, the teacher did not directly tell the student anything. Second, the teacher systematically socialized the